Well, welcome back to the Gambone Law Podcast. My name is Alfonso Gambone, and as always, we are joined by an attorney who specializes in an area outside of the world of criminal defense. Frequently, we receive questions from our clients and their families uh, regarding uh, family law. And uh, I have seen over the years a lot of crossover between my criminal defense practice and family law. And when I have these questions, our law firm immediately turns to Greg Lamonica's office in Media, Pennsylvania. Uh, his firm uh, practices in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Today, we are joined by an attorney from that firm, Jerry Gebhardt. And Jerry's going to speak to us about some problems that we see during the holiday season in the area of family law. So, Jerry, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Happy and to Jerry, be here. If, if you could, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I've been a practicing attorney for just about 15 years now. I only joined the team here about four years ago. I'm one of the team leaders here. Uh, and that, that's my passion, is helping people out with family law issues, getting things resolved. Uh, when clients come to me with a problem, I love nothing better than to help them work it out and move them forward in a more positive direction than they were when they came to us. Okay, so the issues of problems, uh, attorneys deal with problems every day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there are problems that clients um, like to hear are our responses and sometimes they're not too happy with us. And I think that that goes for any area of law, but especially in the area of family law and criminal defense, we often have to have difficult conversations with clients because they believe that their way is the only way and, and their way is the right way. So I wanna focus in on um, the holiday season. We're coming to the end of the year and um, what I've seen is, in addition to having a lot of criminal problems that develop for various reasons, especially during this time of the year, I see some family law problems as well. And the first problem I see is in the area of child custody. And I see it where two people, either prior, you know, formally married or recently separated, or in some situation where they have a child together, don't have an agreement in place. And now it's the holidays and up until now, you know, perhaps they separated in you know, September and school kicked off and the kids were in school. But now there's this holiday break. There's Christmas time. There's Hanukkah. There's a lot of holidays, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Um, how do you, as a family lawyer, advise a client who comes to you and says, look, I don't have an agreement here with my former spouse or soon to be former spouse or my uh, child's mother or child's father? What do you do in those situations? Sure, and that's so amazingly common. Uh, the people are so focused on what's the regular schedule going to be? Am I going to get my certain percentage of time with the child? Uh, I always try first and foremost right away, great, let's talk about that, but let's not put off just discussing the holidays. Uh, this time of year, it's obvious. I mean, we're at December 1st, so it's coming up. Uh, but, you know, sometimes people come to me in April and they're like, I oh, will figure out the holidays when we get there, which is, I think, a bad move. It's always best to talk about it right away. It's it's almost the elephant in the room. Uh, you don't want to you don't want to put it off, and it is vitally important because you know holidays are very important to almost everyone I've ever spoken to. It's very rare to have someone who holidays aren't important to them or their children. Uh, and you hit the nail on the head. You know maybe mom thinks well Christmas of course is going to be exactly like this. Dad feels exactly the same way, and there's some unresolved overlap. So it's, it's vitally important to have an open and frank conversation about 
what are we going to do for the holidays? Is it going to be the same every year? Uh, are we going to switch things up year to year? But I've found the more specific you can be going into it, the less problems there are on the actual holiday, which is what's most important. So you have a situation quite frequently, I believe, in the area of family law that I don't have in the area of criminal defense. I'm always dealing with another attorney in the form of a prosecutor or mm -hmm. an assistant district attorney, whether it be in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Your situation, sometimes you have to deal with the unrepresented party. Am I right? Absolutely. Okay. So in a situation where a client comes to you and there's no formal agreement, perhaps they, they broke up recently two or three months and like you just said hey we'll figure it out later mm -hmm. let's just um, i i left i mean i know of one situation uh where you know, the father just basically walked out and yeah. said i'm through i'm done and uh for whatever reason there's there's two kids who are just pick some ages nine and 13 mm -hmm. okay and the father just leaves right uh, mother's represented by an attorney father says, I'm going to do it all by myself. I don't need a lawyer, which I hate when people say that because it's because it becomes this like this, like I call it like a street fight. It's basically like they, they just go in the court and just throw everything out there and just mm -hmm. make life difficult for everybody. So in those situations where mom you know, wants to have kind of a formal agreement, perhaps dad mm -hmm. is not represented. How do you approach that situation? Sure. Well, the first thing I do is I get a full background and a long conversation with the client because I would say, look, I don't know dad. You know him way better than I do. Is there any way, do you think it'd be best for you to talk to him first, maybe come up with an agreement and then get me involved just to get it formalized at the end? Or sometimes it's like, hey, I can't talk to him at all. I need you to do all of it. Uh, the important thing for me is I want to talk to the other person as soon as possible. You don't want the first time I'm talking to him to be in court if at all possible, because where do we get our ideas from without having been to court before? Like, oh, I've seen this TV show and it seems like the thing to do is I'm going to go into custody court and the judge is going to want to hear every terrible thing I can come up with about mom uh, and I'll be ready for this attorney to just tear me apart. Uh, and I think some people are, when they hear from me, they're kind of surprised like that it doesn't have to be an adversarial process. It, it truly doesn't. I listen to them as well. Like, what, what do you, I always start with a, an unrepresented party. Look, I'm just here to try to help you guys come to an agreement. The thing that's of paramount importance is what's best for your child. What's that look like for you? And then when they feel like they've been listened to, it helps everyone. Because first of all, if my, if my client has a list of things they want, and I listen to the other side first, and hey, three of them, we already have an agreement on, that's fine. Uh, and then we can kind of narrow the issues down. Like, well, hey, did, you know, we're, we're kind of thinking pretty along the lines. We, we were agreeing with you on one, two, and three, but uh, for the last thing you mentioned, have you thought about this? And kind of make it a collaborative process where, you know, and it's great because they might expect that I'm going to be coming at them, attacking them, but I find what works best as sometimes it comes to that, but when you start off, let's try to make the process as collaborative as possible because uh, that's what gets you the best outcomes. Uh, I use a boxing analogy sometimes, right? Like sometimes you go into court uh, and neither party likes what happened. I'm like, hey, it's like it's like at the end of a fight. What do they say? Well, you shouldn't have left it up to the judges. If you want to leave it up to the judge, the judge is going to make her or his best strike at it. But it might not be what either one of you want. So let's let's do the work now. Put your kids first and see what we can come up with together. Yeah, you, see, you mentioned that. Um, that's one of the reasons why I don't like typically doing open guilty pleas with clients because mm -hmm. quite frequently the clients not happy with it 
And uh, for some reason, especially in my practice, people don't want to hear, oh, well, the best type of settlement is where both parties leave the table not totally satisfied. Right. <laughs> and um, so um, that, that that's at least in the criminal defense world. I mean, not every case is like that, but typically, I, if possible, especially when I'm doing a, a guilty plea, unless I know for sure yep. um, kind of what I'm walking out with, um, I, I, I have to really calibrate the client's expectations and right. kind of understand because what happens is frequently in those situations where we get a plea and they they plead guilty, they get their sentence, and then a week later they say, hey, you know what, you kind of forced me into it. And, yep. and um, they, uh, again, uh, it just it, it just snowballs from there. So now let me ask you a question with regards to, we mentioned agreements. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you have two parties, you bring them together, you get an agreement done. Right. It's a private agreement between two parties. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain to me how that becomes binding um, do you need a judge to step in now at that point and to order it? Or I understand from from my standpoint, it's a private agreement. It's not a court order. Correct. Um, there's really no there's no type of um, way to force a person without a court order. But mm -hmm. in terms of um, at least in in the criminal defense world, I mean, we, we always need a judge at the end right. of the day to, to, to approve anything. Um, when it comes to pleas and, and sentences. So can you explain to perhaps our listeners and our viewers how a judge uh, would come into play following an agreement? Sure. So if you have a private agreement, and look, part of this is I don't see these people because they're not coming to me, but there are people out there who have had a separation and they're no longer together and they work out custody between themselves uh, and they manage to get through their children's entire younger lives without ever having to go to court. Uh, I think that's extremely rare, but it's also those aren't the people who are coming into my office. The people coming into my office are the people who, hey, something's not working here. Uh, I need help. So first and foremost, yes, you can go through your children's entire lives without ever having to go to court. No one will ever force you to go. No one will ever force you to have a custody agreement. Uh, you know, one thing I hear from certain clients sometimes is, well, we get along so well, we don't need a custody order. And I say, first of all, yes, if you're one of the lucky few, that may be true. But what I always tell them, the best time to get a custody order is when you are getting along uh, for two reasons. First of all, if you're getting along and you're doing it by agreement, no one actually has to go to court. The attorneys or the attorney would draw it up. The clients would review it as long as everyone's okay with it and understands it. We would file that with a court and a judge would sign off on it without anyone actually having to go into court. So that right there is a huge benefit. Uh, the second benefit is I say, okay, so you're getting along now. You agree with this. What if next year uh, the other parent says, well, I don't agree with this anymore. We're not doing that. Like, well, we agreed to this before. If you don't have an order, you start over from square one a year from now, two years from now, whenever it breaks down, if it does. So I always say the best time to get an order is when you are in agreement. It prevents either parent from unilaterally deciding, I'm not doing that anymore. Uh, it becomes a court order, and then you can always petition the court to modify. You can always modify the custody order by agreement, but you won't have a situation where one parent says, I'm not doing that anymore, I'm not returning the kid this weekend, or whatever it is, uh, and then you have no remedy if there's not a court order. So I always recommend, again, get the court order while you're in agreement. So now in situations where perhaps you, let's say you have the court order, 
but now something changes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's a let's use the example of a loss of job. Okay, mm -hmm. and one spouse loses a job, and now they have a different schedule. Perhaps mm -hmm. they are involved in a relationship. They not necessarily married, but they're but they're maybe going to take a break from work. Um, they have someone supporting them, and they say, "Look, we're gonna. I'm gonna just take some time off work. I I have a lot more free time now. I want to spend mm -hmm. more time with my kids." Right. Um, does that happen? I mean, in 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 those situations, I mean, how how is that approached? Sure. So that's that's a big can of worms because there's about three separate major issues that can happen with that. Uh, first, to directly answer your question, that's not extremely common. I'm not going to say I've never seen it, but that's not typically what happens. Uh, first of all, whether or not you have an order, child child custody is never set in stone. It's a best interest of the child analysis. So if something changes, if there's what the court would call a change in circumstances, uh, either parent can file a petition to modify a custody order. Uh, and the court will do that if appropriate and in the best interest of a child. So uh, let's say it's a situation where a parent loses a job, uh, focusing only on custody. If previously, hey, during these times, the child always went to daycare. Now I'm available to watch my child. Why should the child go to daycare? Okay, that's a pretty good argument that, you know, why, why waste the family's money and resources paying for daycare? Another argument might be, look, this is kind of like school. The child's like two or three. Uh, this is socialization. So these are things that the parents either have to work out or go to the court for. The elephant in the room with custody is always support. Uh, in Pennsylvania, everything's, the legal term is bifurcated, but it's, it's very much separated. So if you're in a custody court and someone starts talking about support, the judge and look, 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 we're, we're not here for support today. Even if that's really the reason behind the scenes that we're there. Uh, in Pennsylvania, support depends on how many overnights each parent has. So if there's a situation where, hey, let's say parent one's the higher income earner, uh, and because of that, they work a lot of hours and parent, the other parent is the one who has more custodial time. Uh, if the higher income earning parent says, hey, I'm, I'm out of work for a while, uh, I can watch the kid all the time. Then you get into, okay, is that really what's best for the child or are you trying to get out of paying child support? Uh, it, it's a difficult thing. If I could just push that a little further. Sure. So in a situation where the parent says, look, I'm available now. We don't mm -hmm. need to put the child in daycare. Right. And the other spouse says, well, no, I mean, I like daycare. It's good for socialization. They have their friends mm -hmm. there. And the other parent says, well, you know, I understand that. But financially, um, we would be able to save a little money here and I'm available. So mm -hmm. in those situations, you mentioned, uh, I mean, obviously, the standard is the best interest of the child. But is that a hard argument to make to a judge that the, the child should continue to go to daycare if the one spouse the one parent is available and yes. has free time. That is that is a hard argument. I think you it's you don't legally have the burden uh, to show that the child's better off in daycare. But generally, burdens aren't as important in family court. But generally, if someone's looking to change something, I would say you better have a really good reason to change it. Because if this is something that's been working and you want to change it, I'm not saying we can't change it. But let's have a good reason why. How would the child's life be enriched? How would this be better for your child if we made a change? And the easy argument is, our child doesn't need to go to daycare. I'm home. I'm available. So if I'm representing someone who's like, no, daycare is really important, I'd be like, okay, let's have a meeting. Let's focus on this. Why is daycare important? 
why is it better for the child to go to daycare than to be with the other parent now? Let's let's do the pros and the cons, because at the end of the day, if you can't agree on it, it's going to go in front of a judge. In general, if there's already a custody order, hey, these are mom's days, these are dad's days, the general rule is during your custodial time, if you want the child in daycare, fantastic. Dad or mom during your custodial time, if you don't want the child in daycare, you can generally do what you want on your custodial time. Um, mm. It's more difficult to say, hey, even though this is the other parent's custodial time, I want them forced to keep the child in daycare. I will be very candid. That's an uphill battle. I'm never going to say we can't get that done, but we better be very prepared, have a very concrete list of reasons. And the most important thing is not a list of reasons why it's better for the parent. Let's have a very compelling argument why it's better for the child, because people get so focused on what's better for me, what's better for him, why this is fair for parent A, why this is what's fair for parent B. I always remind people the judge is going to be laser focused on what's best for the child. So being able to craft a compelling argument that speaks to that, you're going to have much more success than saying, well, I had to pay for daycare and it's not fair to me. The judge isn't going to care about what you're paying for. The judge is going to care about what's best for your child. I understand. So with regards to the issue of daycare, mm -hmm. I would think that if a judge were to rule that the now the at-home parent has more time available, daycare is no longer needed, the support obligation would also decrease. Is that is that right? And that's true. And well, the driving factor in support court is one of the tiebreakers, to use that word, they, they use sometimes is what would maximize the money available to the family. That's not the only criteria they use, but it's a big one. And I, it's a very compelling argument. Like, hey, daycare is costing both of us this much money. I'm available now. Why does the family need to invest money in daycare when I can watch the child? And that, that's another reason why it's a very, it's an uphill battle. Uh, we've had those, we've won those, but you have to show, hey, this child, this is really more like preschool. Uh, the child's getting education there. Uh, this child needs a socialization, but it's, it's, it's a very strong argument to say, I, I don't see why when I'm available, my child has to be in daycare. So now in that in the same modification area, situation where a parent takes a new job mm -hmm. and the job is in a different location. Mm -hmm. And let's use Pennsylvania as an example and let's pick a state that's not necessarily New Jersey. Right. I mean, it's not South Jersey over the bridge. Let's pick a state like um, Ohio. Yeah. Not too far, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's at least six hours uh, from, let's say, Philadelphia. Right. Okay, so now in this situation, parent takes a new job. Um, the parent previously had um, visitation rights mm -hmm. that were weekends. Right. And that's what the agreement called for. Parent wants the new job, uh, really has to take it for professional reasons or mm -hmm. just to maintain a living. Um, how is that approached? That's not too difficult a situation because in this example, if the parent who has weekends wants to relocate, uh, relocation is a technical term in, uh, under Pennsylvania custody law. Uh, if there's not an agreement, uh, any parent who's seeking to do a relocation needs court permission. And you can either get that by the other parent saying, hey, I'm fine with it, or by filing a petition saying, hey, I want to relocate. Here's the reasons why, and here's my plan. Uh, it's not strictly defined in Pennsylvania as, hey, if you move this many miles, it's a relocation, or if you cross a state border. Uh, the language is along the lines of if either parent has a move that will substantially impact the other, the non-relocating parent's custodial rights, you need court permission. So if you're moving from the Philadelphia area to Ohio, that's clearly a relocation. As you get 
closer. You can argue whether it is or isn't a relocation. Uh, the hard facts are, obviously, let's say you have a 50-50 sort of custodial arrangement. That's in the child's school age. That's not going to work. If you're moving to Ohio, you're not going to be able to do that. Similarly, in this example where you're getting weekends or every other weekend, is that fair to the child or will that even work? You're talking about a six-hour drive. So what, Friday after school, you're going to have the kid up all night to get out to you? Is he going to spend half the day Saturday and half the day Sunday in the car? Is that really what's best for the child? Typically, weekends don't work for something of a move that far away. So then what you're looking at is generally, if we're talking about school-age children, you're looking at where can we find the time? The relocating parent can probably expect to have extended time, maybe even up to the entire summer, uh, maybe the majority of things like spring break, extended time around the holiday break. But the reality of the situation is if, you know, if mom and dad live six plus hours apart, you're not going to have frequent exchanges. It's, it's just it's just not possible or feasible. So you're looking to make up that time in other ways. Uh, you're looking to make sure you have good phone contact, maybe FaceTime, Apple time, video conferencing. You want to maintain that relationship with your child as best as you can. Uh, but the reality is if you have a move that big, custody is going to, by necessity, dramatically change. So now we've spoken a lot about, you know, parents making decisions for the children, uh, I just want to jump to in a situation where the kids are maybe a little older, maybe mm -hmm. not, you know, let's say 10, 12. For instance, mm -hmm. my kids are, my son's 11, um, you know, so he's at an age now where he can say kind of what he what he likes, what he doesn't like. Right. And a kid his age says, look, mom, I don't want to go see dad um, mm -hmm. on, the, on the weekends. And I don't think this is fair. And I miss my friends and and um, I don't like I, I don't want to go. Yeah. Um, so in that situation, I mean, mom obviously wants to, doesn't want to alienate herself from, from her son either and kind of wants mm -hmm. to make him happy. And dad is pretty much just has his, has his, has his flag in the ground saying, no, you're coming with me. You right. learn to like it. And this is the way it's going to be. Um, uh, in that situation where, because, you know, mom is kind of in the kid's camp, if you, if you want to say that, sure. and dad's kind of like, no, we have an agreement. You're going to follow the law and right. that's it. Um, and you get the court. Mm -hmm. And so in that situation, we're dealing with an 11 year old, right? Um, obviously not, not an adult. Uh, but how mm -hmm. does the court approach that situation? Sure. And look, that's a tough situation. Uh, obviously, if the custody order isn't being followed, you're saying, well, the three-year-old doesn't want to go. Well, that that's mm -hmm. the parent's fault. If it's right. a 17-year-old, the judge is going to be like, if you know how to control a 17-year-old, please let me know. Uh, 11's kind of the age where I think that would more fall on the side of the parents saying, look, first and foremost, the custody order applies to the parents and the parents alone. The court's not going to find an 11-year-old in contempt of a court order, but the court very well may find mom or dad in, con in contempt of the court order. Uh, and it's a hard thing because this stuff isn't done openly, but if the court decides, look, we think the kid saying, I don't want to go with dad. And mom's like, yeah, you're right. I wouldn't want to go with him either. He's a horrible, this is an extreme example. Uh, right, right. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. And the court decides that's happening. They're going to slam mom. If mom's like, look, I'm begging him to get in the car to go with dad. I mean, I've even gotten to the point where I'm telling him, I'm going to get in trouble if you don't go with dad because they're going to blame me. Judge, I'm doing everything I can. And the judge legitimately believes that. And that is in fact, what's going on. They're not going to punish mom for that. Uh, I've had these cases where, you know, the judge would look at the other side and be like, what else would you want them to do? Uh, do you want me to send the sheriffs over there to drag your kid back to you in chains? Because 
you know, that's what we're looking at. Uh, and these things become very difficult. What the court tries to find out is, is this an issue with the child or is there some kind of parental alienation going on? Uh, and alienation can be a tough thing. Sometimes it's blatant and one parent is actively trying to alienate. Uh, other times a parent's engaging in behaviors that are alienating the child's affections towards the other party, uh, not even consciously. Uh, and it's, it's a tough thing for the courts. And what you really want to do is first I try to get the parents together. Can, can we come to an agreement uh, and at least believe each other on what's going on? Uh, if not, if I have a parent saying we need to file for contempt because the order isn't being followed, uh, it's not a quick knee-jerk, great, let's immediately run into court. It's like, let's try to find out what's going on. If we need to go to court, if we think we have a great shot at contempt, that we can show this is the other parent's fault and we have a solution, that's fantastic. But a lot of times, trying to figure out the root of the problem uh, can be a better way to go. Does a child need to be in therapy? Is there a therapist who can help with this instead of a, an adversarial court procedure? I try to find different avenues because what's most important is not winning in court. What's most important is what is best for you and your family and how can we get there? Uh, I find a lot of people want to just rush into court whenever they can when that might not always be the right answer. My focus is always on what are your goals? What's best for your family? How can we help you achieve those goals by any and all means necessary and legal and proper? Uh, so that's the first thing I would say is how can we solve this problem without running into court? And of course, court is always an option, uh, but it shouldn't necessarily be the first option and, and never is a knee-jerk reaction. So just a couple more questions here before I let you go today, Jerry. Uh, this has been great. Um, it's December 1st, last month of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, what advice would you give to someone who um, had just gone through a separation. It happened over the mm -hmm. weekend right after Thanksgiving yeah. and uh, dad walked out and uh, mom is alone now with the kids mm -hmm. and dad is certainly just suddenly called her and says, look, Christmas is coming up. I want this. I want that. Mm -hmm. uh, just if you had to give advice to that person right now, speaking directly to that person, mm -hmm. what would be your first bit of advice that you would give to that? Let's say mom. Yeah. So for mom, the tough thing is dad might have been horrible to you. Well, let's put out him doing anything horrible to the children, but dad, maybe he was cheating. Uh, maybe he was uh, verbally abusive. Uh, maybe dad, clearly the relationship isn't working out and naturally either parent in that situation isn't going to be really happy with the other parent. Uh, what I say, and this is easier said than done, you have to bend over backwards to truly put your children first. If you can truly do that, things have a way of working themselves out. Uh, hey, if dad was cheating on you, do the kids know? They don't need to know. Uh, generally, absent physical abuse or something like that, don't speak negatively about the other parent because universally therapists agree if you do that, you are damaging your child. If it's not true, the child doesn't want to hear it. In my opinion, even if it is true, the child's going to figure that out on his or her own. If they already know that, hey, dad's got these issues and every time they go to mom, they're hearing it from mom, they don't need to hear that. I tell them, you are damaging your child. So you have to compromise and bend over backwards. Even if you think personally to you, dad's the worst guy in the world, is, your, is dad a danger to the child? What's it going to do to your child if, if he doesn't get to see his father over Christmas? So I always try to get them focused on that. And it's a very hard thing to do, especially when a breakup is new, it's raw. Uh, the feelings of animosity are at an all-time high. You got to say, take a deep breath, 
take a step back. What do you truly think is best for your child? It's, it's the hardest thing in the world to do, uh, but that's, that's always the right answer. That's some great advice. So just one more question now. Well, not really a question. At the end of every podcast, I like to talk about current events. Yeah. And uh, quite frequently, I have an example that mm -hmm. I would like to use to just to point out how perhaps a celebrity situation is good or bad or something that you want to watch out for. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have anything that perhaps is a recent celebrity um, who has a support issue or a custody issue that they were able to resolve or perhaps not resolve? And is, is there something there that perhaps you can discuss with us? Oh, absolutely. So the, the big, it's, it's rare that family law issues capture the national attention, but there was a kind of jaw-dropping moment for many people earlier this week when uh, somehow it became public, but Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, or at least I believe he changed his name to Yee, uh, have settled everything. Uh, and people's jaws hit the floor. They're asking me like, I thought Kim Kardashian was a multimillionaire. Does she need $200,000 per month for child support? That seems like an astronomical number. Uh, and I agree off the top of the bat, it's like no one needs $200,000 a month. But the first thing you have to understand about child support is it has nothing to do with needs. It has to do with relative incomes and dividing the income fairly among the parties in the best interest of the children. Uh, most states, specifically PA, does have child support guidelines, uh, and it wasn't always the case, but child support guidelines go into infinity now. So no matter how much money you make, you're gonna find a home on that chart. Even if you make, uh, even if you're a billionaire, you're on the chart. So as a, it, I don't think many people know how much different people make. Maybe some people do, I didn't. So I invested a total of about a minute and a half of Google research to figure out how much does Kim Kardashian make. I have no idea if it's true, but the first Google result says she makes $6 million a year. Maybe that's low, I don't know. So when I, as an intellectual exercise, I'm like, let's assume Kim Kardashian makes $6 million a year. How much does Mr. West need to be making to justify her getting $200,000 per month? Uh, and according to the Pennsylvania guidelines for four children, assuming that she has what's called primary custody, meaning she primarily has the four children, everything in support's broken down by, by month. So if Kim's making $500,000 per month, uh, in order to get the support guidelines up to $200,000 per month, uh, Kanye would have to be making $600,000, per month to justify that kind of an award. And I was also shocked, looking up what I could for how much uh, Mr. West makes, he might have gotten off very well because I've seen estimates where maybe not now with his recent troubles, but you know, 2019, 2020 with his different business ventures, with his different partnerships, uh, he might be making double that some years. So he that might actually be a low number. But that's that's what it would take in Pennsylvania to get $200,000 a month, because it sounds crazy, but if he's making $6.6 million a month, he's making 93% of the family's income. So when you look at it in that way, it kind of makes a lot more sense. Well, wow, that's interesting. You know, a long time ago when I was in law school, um, I was working at a law firm where we represented someone who had filed a lawsuit against Allen Iverson for mm -hmm. falling on his property. I think it was like, I forget it was some contractor or something. So um, long story short, uh, his wife uh, was present in the home when um, this person fell and she was deposed. Mm 
Mm. And during the deposition, I'm just sitting in the room, and if I recall correctly, her weekly allowance came out, that what Alan Iverson was giving his wife mm -hmm. a week. And it came out, if I remember the number, it was either thirteen dollars or $15,000 a week. Mm -hmm. That was her allowance to go. And the follow-up question was, well, how did you spend that money? And she basically said, on pretty much anything I wanted from food to shopping to clothes. And mm -hmm. that number, I looked at it, was like, so wait, you're getting a half a million dollars? I mean, I wasn't asking the questions, but she was mm -hmm. getting close to $600,000 well, $600, a year. Yeah. Well, what, 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 what am I doing? It's, I mean, $10,000 a week would be over $500,000. Oh, and you easy. tack another $5,000, that's another, you know, it's it's mm -hmm. like seven fifty dollars a year to, to basically, you know, um, to to for an allowance. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I guess it's uh, and now I'm not sure if they're still. I mean, I I think they're still married, but it'd be interesting to see what that alimony obligation would be, given the fact that her her quality of life was fifteen thousand dollars a a week mm -hmm. for an allowance. So, but anyway, yeah. if uh, it's that, me, that, I'm breaking that, it down by game check. Like, if you just signed a contract for what a hundred million dollars, and you you think I'm only worth ten thousand dollars a week? <laughs> it's 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 all in perspective. That's a very low percentage of his earning capacity at that time. He'll, he'll drop that on a, a hat twice that on a dinner with friends. And she, that has to last for a week? What, you just spent a dinner last night? Yeah, I think he was in some financial problems. And then the way his mm -hmm. agent at the time structured his contract, mm -hmm. he ended up getting, he actually now is actually earning again his, he had a contract stipulation where he was paid a lump sum money mm -hmm. uh, so many years after he retired. Oh, and he nice. may even be getting some kind of annuity or something that continues kind of like not quite as good as like the Bobby Bonilla situation. Right, it's the first thing getting, I thought of. He's getting <laughs> Bobby paid Bonilla in 2030 or something, some like a couple million dollars a year. But it mm -hmm. brings up a good point. But anyway, Jerry, this was great. I want to thank you again. Uh, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners how they can get in touch with you uh, if they have a family law issue? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're we are only licensed in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Uh, we mostly focus on Southern Jersey, but if you're anywhere in or around the greater Philadelphia area, uh, give us a call. We'd be happy to help you. Uh, the easiest way to find us is uh, throw LaMonica Law into a Google search. That's L-A-M-O-N-A-C-A, -A, LaMonica Law, uh, into a Google search will be the first thing that pops up. Uh, you can always call us. Our number is 610 892 3877. But if you go to our website, uh, almost any page you hit, there's going to be a chat now button. There's going to be forms you can use. And that comes to us and we will have an actual attorney call you back as soon as possible. Because uh, quite frankly, uh, family law issues don't always come up between nine to five on Monday to Friday. And the last thing I want to hear if I'm hiring an attorney is, uh, I know I know you're having problems on your Friday night pickup, but you know, I I'm out. I'll talk to you on Monday. Let me know how it went. Uh, that's the last thing you want to hear, and that's not how we operate. Uh, we take cases very seriously. Uh, we all work together as a team, so when you hire LaMonica Law, you're not hiring me. You're hiring a team of family law professionals who are dedicated to nothing other than focusing on you and your needs and your family's needs and accomplishing your goals, and we pride ourselves on that. Well, Jerry, thanks again. This has been great. And that wraps up another podcast, the Game Bone Law Podcast. I want to thank everyone uh, today for making this uh, a great podcast as always. And Jerry, we'll speak to you very soon. And um, just tell Greg and Monica I said hi. Will do. Thank you so much. Great talking to you.